Welcome to the Tangible Hope podcast first episode. Today we'll be talking about what in the world are tangible dreams, why they are important, and what role asset policies can play in helping children form them. My name is Willie Elliott, and I'm a professor at the University of Michigan, and my co-host, Melinda Lewis, a professor of practice at the University of Kansas. You will find links to the report, Unleashing the Power of Children's Savings Accounts, Doorway to Multiple Streams of Assets, which is discussed in today's episode, along with a few other links that might be of interest in the description. If you find this episode informative and want to be sure others hear it, please hit the like button and subscribe. I think I can start with a question. What I really want folks to hear and I want to hear myself is about the the title of the podcast and of this report, the, the way that children need tangible hope to root their aspirations for the future. And just specifically, I wanna hear what difference concrete hope makes in a kid's outcomes and how we get there. Yeah, no, so tangible hope is really an idea that comes out of, built on theory, uh, but it's not, it's a way of making it more practical for people so that people can understand it easier. Uh, so we're gonna talk about just the piece of tangible hope that's that's more, I don't know, easily understood. Uh, and everybody has some concept of this in their mind already. They just, might, just haven't thought about it in, in, mm. in really concrete terms. So tangible hope, I would first give a quick story. I usually give a story about uh, my mother and I. So I, I grew up, um, you know, poor and homeless at periods of times and uh, the life story of, of many uh, families in America. And uh, what we would do sometimes, we'd go to neighboring uh, neighborhoods uh, that were more fluent that had nicer houses we'd walk through those and we would just, you know, dream of, of someday living there. But the thing about it was, is that nothing in our life said that was possible, right? I mean, so this is akin to what you called an aspiration. It was aspirational, it was something we dreamed about, but, but it wasn't tangible in any kind of way because there was no grounds in our life for believing that we could make this possible. We, we um, like I said, we were low income, uh, you know, homeless at different periods of times, living out of a car, living out of a hotel. Um, you know, employment was uh, inconsistent uh, at, at the very least. Uh, my dad always had a steady job at the railroad, but he got laid off a lot. And so um, just looking at our lives on a day to day basis, there was nothing in it that said, here's a path to actually buying a house in that neighborhood. So. Now that that's I call that wishful hope or aspirational hope. It still serves a an important purpose in life because um, you know if you've been poor or, or living through different things in your life, it doesn't have to only be poverty. Uh, you can still relate to this in some way. Is you you still need that something that helps you get up and, and get through the day kind of kind of hope, and that, that's more that dreamy wishful type of thing. But it doesn't affect behavior in the same way as tangible hope. Tangible hope is, as I moved on in life, you know, and you were able to get like a, a down payment for a house. Now, when you're starting to save for a down payment on a house, and you have some money in an account, and you go walk through that neighborhood and you go to that house viewing, you just feel different, right? I mean, because and and people there think about you different. When my mother and I walk through, I got to imagine to a lot of people we looked like intruders, right? Like we didn't belong. 
and we didn't even feel like we belonged, right? We, we, we knew we were in a dream world, that this wasn't our reality. And I'm sure that expresses itself in, in so many different ways. But when you have a down payment and you go into a viewing of a house and the, the person comes up to you and says, you know, why are you here today? What are you looking for? And you can say, well, I've begun to save and I have a down payment. It also, in our world today with computers and everything else, once you start saving for a home and you have a down, you're starting to work towards a down payment, it also helps you define your dream of what's possible. What I mean by that is, is now you know, oh, I have this amount of money. I could probably live in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so then you can start looking up pictures of, and looking at those neighborhoods and it just becomes more real to you in a way that when you just, when you have no grounds and you have no plan and you have no assets that you're building to, to get to that house um, doesn't feel the same. It just concretely doesn't feel the same. So tangible hope is when you, start to have some grounds and some reasons to actually believe that it's possible. Um, I'll say one more thing on this is, it, it, it's this idea of, you know, like people need some attachment to reality, right? We're not purely rational beings and economists have studied, you know, whether people are rational or not rational, but we're rational to some degree, right? We're not, we're not without reason. We're thinking human beings, right? We, we, we need to think and, and believe things are possible. And so we do need some uh, environment that's rich for dreaming. And when you have an environment that's rich for dreaming, uh, it becomes much more tangible to you. And assets are one way that in a, in a, in a capitalist society that attaches us to that future, right? That allows us to begin to dream and think things are possible in a way that um, when you don't have assets, they don't feel possible. Particularly when we think about paying for college, you know, buying a home, starting a business, these types of things require assets to make them really feel possible. Well, and that's what I want you to, to talk about a little bit because that story, and I can envision you, I don't know your mom um, personally, but I envision you as a child walking in those neighborhoods and dreaming and then think about how different it would feel when you and your family were differently positioned in relation to those hopes and, and having them be so much realer to you. But can you tell the story of how you came to see assets as a way to make those hopes concrete? I mean, what I'm interesting is like at a time when most people were talking about children's savings accounts just in terms of the balances in their accounts, the like actual dollars, what puts you on to the idea that those accounts could be valuable in a tangible hope concept? Really, um, there's, there's a gentleman uh, named Michael Sherrod, and he teaches at Washington University in St. Louis, and he runs a center for center social development. When, when I first, and, and as you know, well, obviously, you know, uh, Melinda's also from Washington University in St. Louis. So we're both graduates of, of Washington University. It's kind of ironic and, and uh, interesting in of itself. Um, serendipitous, but, Willie. I said yes, serendipitous. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and he's kind of the godfather of kind of children's savings accounts and assets. And so when I arrived at campus, first 
couple of days I was there, I went and, and sought him out. And um, he offered me a job to work on a program called I Can Say, which is one of the first, one of the early programs around children's savings accounts. What are children's savings accounts? I should give you some, I keep mentioning their term, but you, you don't have any understanding what they are at this point. They are really accounts designed for lower income families, even though everyone can have an account. And in these accounts, they do things like they make it easier for low income families to engage with institutions like banks or or state 529 programs for saving for college that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. So they reduce the amount of paperwork. A lot of times they could come with automatic enrollment where kids are automatically and families are automatically enrolled into the program. So you don't have to do anything to enroll. They give them initial deposits. They put some money into the account. And that could be I typically think of most of the accounts that we see as small dollar accounts because they come with anywhere from $5 initial deposit to $1,000 in most cases, right? So not large sums of money. And um, and then they usually come with a match. So if you save a certain a dollar, you get another dollar matched by the program into your account up to a certain amount per year. And so there's things built into these accounts to allow lower income families to engage in a mainstream institution like a bank or or, or, or state five to nine program when it might not be accessible to them otherwise. But for now, we'll talk about much of that, you know, as we move along, I'll talk much more about that as we move along. The idea that these are small dollar accounts was one thing that intrigued me when it came to kind of this idea of tangible hope, right? Because how can an account with small amounts of money in it change the way we think about our futures, right? That was That, that, that really intrigued me. And one of the things something as expensive, Willie, as the cost of a higher education, which was is more expensive now than it was when you were on the campus at Wash U. But even then, that's not a little task that your um, accounts need to make seem actually feasible. So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just think that, you know, it's to underscore the um, potency of assets to bring the barely distant future within actual reach of folks. It's important to make sure we all understand how big of a task that really is um, so that we can understand this psychological and social forces that are really fueling um, that achievement. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, I think that's great. I mean, and, and this is a conversation. So it's not an interruption. It's, it's just us having a conversation. So I think it, 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 it and you're going to make me seem like I'm contradicting myself in some ways by, by asking the question that you've asked, because uh, it kind of plays on what I've, what I've discovered or, or really, you know, found out uh, as, as over time of thinking about this is, is that uh, it's good that we're not purely rational human beings, right? Uh, that, that there is some, you know, irrationality to how we behave and act, right? It's just a, the degree on how far or how much we can be irrational. I, I'm going to digress for one quick second. There's this thing called self-efficacy theory. The simple part of it is it's your I can do belief, what you believe you can do through your own effort and ability, right? And some people have very distorted senses of this, right? Uh, I would actually put myself in, in one of those categories. I'm, I'm having to get this, just, you know, I could be really, really poor and believe I could get out of poverty, right? I mean, and, and believe that someday I could own a home or, or do those kinds of things. Where, but, but there is a, a, not everybody and most people 
quite frankly, don't have an irrational sense of self-efficacy, right? And unfortunately, uh, in our society, oftentimes we require or expect of each individual poor person that they have this very diluted sense of what's possible in their lives, right? We'll say it doesn't matter that they don't have any money, that they don't have any electric in their house, they're going home and they have to go across the street. And this is, I'm telling you, like things out of my own life, really go across the street and pump water every night to clean themselves and to clean their dishes and and expect them to do well in school and to, and to see school as, as, as going to deliver them, right? They, on some level, that's, that's like, it's asking so much yeah. of that child and that kid. They have to be quite delusional in some respects to think that they're going to be able to dig themselves out of that. And, and now, so people ask me to go talk everywhere, and they're always asking me, they're always amazed at that kind of story and that, you know, delivering yourself out of that. Imagine, that's, that's not the way people can function on a daily basis. It's not even necessarily all the time healthy for individuals to be that delusional about reality and what they can achieve. And so what I'm saying is, but that plays into how these small dollar accounts can work, though. It's because we are, we don't require complete reasonableness, right? Like the poor don't need everything in their life to be perfect in order for them to strive and try to achieve. They just need to have some grounds for it. And so the example I give is kind of this sense of perceived control, where if you and I, Melinda, are in a car and we're driving 100 mile an hour around a sharp bend, right? If I'm driving, somehow I have this sense that it's going to be okay because I'm under it's under my control. Now, if you're driving, I'm probably in a panic over there, you know, grabbing the seat, clutching on, wondering what you're doing because you don't feel like you have control. When you give a child an account, you give a family an account, what you've done is you, you, you've given them a structure, an institution that will allow them to begin to build assets. They understand that they understand what a, what an account is for and how you can build assets for it. So it doesn't matter that they don't have money now, but because it's in their name, in the child's name, they think of it as their own account. They believe that they have control over saving and building assets. And so college, which seems so unthinkable, now they have a strategy at their disposal that, that they know is a strategy for building assets, right? And so even though they don't have the money today, they think somewhere in the future, they're gonna get money to put into that account. Um, and, and that kind of is where those multiple streams become so tremendously important in, in helping that child realize those assets to, to be able to actually pay for college. So can we talk a little bit about the multiple streams that, that were you know, centered in this report? Is it the fact that having multiple streams of assets flowing into an account increases the likelihood that a program can assemble enough money? Is it the amount? that is the reason that multiple streams matter? Or does the fact, is it more like diversification, right? Which I'm sure that investment people are telling me I should pay attention to that and you know that I don't totally, but like, is it the diversification that makes multiple streams such an important part of the foundation for tangible hope? Or is it just because the more pots we're drawing from, the more likely that the like cauldron um, into which all of those um, funds are flowing is going to fill up? Is it a Amount or is it spread that matters so much? That's interesting. And I just thought of something that I haven't really 
paid attention to or thought of before when you when you said that. And that's the fun thing about having conversations. And hopefully, as the audience listens to this, they'll do the same thing. Like this, is, we're not giving you the, the complete answers. Right. We're we're asking you to engage in a conversation with us and, and add thinking to this. So as you make comments, um, hopefully you'll, you'll make comments, and we'll, we'll hopefully read through some of those. You'll you'll help expand our thinking. But what I wasn't thinking about was the fact that um, when you tangibleness, usually when I think about tangibleness, I'm thinking about the individual's perception of tangibleness, right? Do they perceive it as tangible? But then there's then there's another reality-based part of that that is, is it really tangible, right? I mean, because like, again, you, you have people on the spectrum, right? Um, one way to think about it is, uh, you know, People have different, they, some people need less to think they can go to the moon, right? You know what I mean? Like they don't need as much evidence as other people need. Some people need a lot more evidence. So, so my point here is simply to say that um, when we think about amounts and stuff, what we found in the research, the randomized control trials, and a lot of this work, a lot of the randomized control trials were done by the Center for Social Development, Michael Shradden's group. Uh, we've done a lot of other studies in, in quasi-experimental studies and stuff. What we found is that these small dollar accounts can produce asset effects. And what I mean by that is it produces things like uh, parents having less less depression. Um, and interesting about that, we're doing some qualitative work and we're starting to get a sense that even when like, we think of something like a depression mm -hmm. is it's and you think about a savings account. These kids are saving for their future, right? They don't have money now to spend. So how does that affect material hardship? How does that affect depression? How does that affect somebody? Because they're not getting that money. But it's about the sense that the kids will have a better future. They know that, that they have this asset stored or, or this mechanism for at least building assets. Right. And that makes them feel better about the kids' future. I'm going to ramble for a second. Even if today still feels hard, Willie. I mean, I think that's important because one of the things I do want to talk about is the tension sometimes between meeting basic income or like current income needs and um, future assets. Uh, and I think we'll um, explore some of that tension. But what you're saying is the research shows that today can be not only feel hard, but absolutely objectively be hard. And knowing that my kid has something real, not just like a story I tell them at bedtime, but something real that looks better in the future can still help me deal even through the difficulty today. And let me link a few things together there. That's absolutely what I'm, what I'm saying is that assets are the domain of the future. Income is a domain of the present, right? And so when we have an asset stored, it allows us to have a stake in the future, right? And we talk about tangible hope, it's, it's hope. It's not about the present, it's about a better future, right? That a better future is possible. And so when I have assets stored in an account or have access to an institutional structure for building assets, which might not have a lot of money in it yet, it makes me feel different about my future. And we say in a tangible way, because there is a mechanism there for you to actually change that future, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you already have assets built up in it. Maybe you 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 just have access to the institution, but it is grounds for believing 
that my kid's future can be better, which makes me feel better about today. And what I want to say about that is, is it's so important in the social welfare conversation where we tend to only think about how kids can feed themselves today. Right. And so we get focused on the income domain, the present domain for lower income families and don't think we should or can deal with their futures. But what we're starting to tease out a little bit here is, is that that future is as important to the present. uh, That sense that, let me put it a different way. I can live through a whole lot as a low income person if I think my future can be better, right? And so what we're missing oftentimes is all we focus on is they can't eat today. And, And we all know they need to eat, right? We're not saying don't feed kids, but we are saying that people can suffer and the reason they can suffer through so much is because they feel like tomorrow will be better. Whether you're a prisoner in a war camp and you have a picture of your family and that carries you through all that, or whether you're a kid starving or or without resources, but you feel like you have a mechanism in place that will allow you to make your future better. I mean, that's what America's built on. Why do people- Yeah, to push on that, Willie, then you're saying also that the flip side is true. Even if we are meeting everything a person needs to survive today, we are still, as a society, fundamentally failing children and families if we are not giving them a real reason to think that their future is going to be better. Like, just meeting their present needs today is far from what we want as a country uh, and what we all want for our own children and what we should then want and work for in policy for every child. I would go beyond want, need, mm-hmm. because you think about it, yeah. when you think about it, how do, how do we ever go to the moon? Yeah. Because we were able to dream it. And it, it wasn't that our current resources, whether it be our current knowledge, we didn't have the knowledge to go to the moon yet, or all our resources were there yet, but but we had enough that we could dream it. And so that meant that we could bring it to pass. And what I'm saying is in a kid's life, if you want them to be a doctor, a lawyer, I don't know, whatever it is that you want them to be or, 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 or society needs them to be, they have to be able to, to dream it. Right? It's not just about do they have enough today. They have to be able to imagine themselves being something that even their parents might not yet imagine for them. But the environment is rich enough where they can be the person who discovers the world is round or discover the computer or discover whatever. It's because they were able to, to dream a tangible dream. And by it, because it was tangible, it changed their behavior. Right? Um, but I wanted to read a quick thing yeah. uh, that Franklin Roosevelt said. So when talking to Congress about the New Deal, Roosevelt looked to the future and laid out a framework for social welfare policy that would be consistent with the ideal of the American dream. He said, liberty requires opportunity to make a living decent according to the standard of the time, a living that gives man not only enough to live by, but something to live for. In the, ti- in, in, in the title, uh, sorry, um, he, he went on to say that life was no longer free, liberty no longer rural, men could no longer follow the pursuit of happiness when they didn't have this something to live for, right? And you could even think about it, an American dream to live for, 
right? And so we have this sense nowadays, and you, you hear different news reports and stuff of, of the, the American dream is dead kind of idea and that people don't believe in it, even though a vast majority still do. But the, but what why it ebbs and flows through history is because as people experience large economic shocks and in their lives and other things, they can the American dream can feel more or less real to them. And it is a really important instrument for us as a society to have people invest their energy in our institutions to to seek to be the most that they can be because they have a sense that they have structures and, and resources around them that will allow them to reach those dreams, right? And so it is so tremendously important that all citizens be able to have something that they to live for, right? To have that sense that tomorrow can be better and that the institutional structures and resources are there for me to be whatever I can be with my own use of effort and ability. It requires my use of effort and ability, but that effort and ability will be augmented by the institutions and resources that are available to me. And so CSAs are a tangible way of providing kids and their families with an institutional structure that allows them to begin to dream. And we see this um, empirically in, in the evidence, whether it be through the randomized control trial and increased parental expectations uh, for their kids when they're in these programs, because they have a sense of that, that there is something available for their kids that wasn't before. Um, and so this is really kind of a, a powerful tool for building these aspirations. And, and it has to be a central part of our, our social welfare system, not only to help kids eat, but to provide them an environment that allows them to dream so we can become the, not only they can become the individuals they want, but that we can become the America that we want because these kids are able to dream a different America, a better America, because of the environment that we provided them with today. Well, and Willie, that's, I think, the last kind of big topic. I want to hear you talk about a bit. I mean, I appreciate the underlining that it that constructing a foundation of truly tangible, observable, even fairly rational reason to think that the future holds something wonderful and exciting and beautiful is not just this nice thing that it would be good to do once we take care of everything that is more immediate and, and today, but an actual just as important. Let me stop you real quick. Yeah. And even the word once we take care of is slippery. No, I said, okay. I was trying to say that you're saying that we not once we take care of it, but as much a need as yes. today's needs. What I want you to talk about though, is what does that actually require? Like you said, you know, it takes a different amount of assets for um, some people to believe that truly their hope for the future is rational um, than it does for others. But like, what is an agenda that transforms um, this fuzzy hope for the future into a tangible, like actual foundation that people can live on? Like, is there is there an amount? Is there a policy structure? Like, yeah, how do we, if, if we embrace your um, assertion that this is not a would be nice, but a just as urgent as, then what does that look like? In policy 
in, in, in answering that, I want to circle back to something you brought up earlier, which I think is related that we I didn't answer. And that is kind of this idea between the perception of tangible hope mm-hmm. and then and then maybe the amount <laughs> of tangible hope. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when we're thinking about perceptions, what I was trying to say earlier and probably didn't articulate very well is that there are important things to changing just the perception of these kids in these families. And we see that through changes in their social emotional development, parental, you know, parental depression, parental expectations, all these things, right? That we could rattle off that we've shown that these small dollar account counts produce. But but even when we get we have to get be that is not the only thing that needs to happen. We don't only have to change their perception that they can dream of the future. We also have to put in place the resources so when they're working hard because they now believe things are possible, they actually have the resources to be able to bring that about. And so there becomes this delicate process or or, or delicate balance between wanting to simply affect the kind of uh, perceptions of kids and, and their effort and ability, you know, their effort in school and these kinds of things, and then actually providing resources. And so I think this is where the idea of children's savings accounts and baby bonds, and what's a baby bond? So it's like Senator uh, Cory Booker has proposed providing each kid, uh, I think I have this right, uh, uh, $1,000 in their account initially, and then $2,000 in their account every year after. So, so much more than the $5 to $1,000 initial deposit that CSAs have grown to become known as, these small, smaller, smaller dollar accounts, and putting real substantial assets into an account for a kid. And so to me, these are the marriage of the, of the two, the perception of tangible hope and the reality of tangible hope meeting together to make sure that our kids can become all that there is possible to them to become, right? And so uh, I think we, 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 we can get lost in wanting to affect one or the other, but really both things need to happen. We, we need to have an institution. And, and I would tell you that the baby bonds movement tends to forget about the importance of these indirect effects of assets, what it means to grow up with an asset, and have an institutional structure that allows for you to build assets. And let me circle back to one of the things, and, and hopefully this will wrap in, the multiple streams piece. We never really fleshed that out either. And, and so a baby bond program is pretty much a government investment in the child for the future. But it, the reality of it is, if we're being real, the government will never provide enough money to an individual family to eliminate wealth inequality. It can greatly reduce it. And it needs to be an important part of this larger social welfare system built around assets and income that we want to provide them, but it's insufficient. And so by providing a child with a children's savings account, not only are there initial deposits and these other things, if we take the baby bond and put it into that account, the kid will have a substantial deposit in that. But the multiple streams piece is, well, hey, guess what? Third party uh, family members can now save in those accounts. Not only employers can save in those accounts. We can take something like a Pell Grant that is now given to a kid when they're 18 and put it into their account early on so they can grow an interest and expand and be more. And, and also that they can know that they have that asset. Hey, think about it. If I'm a kid 
and you give me an account and we've proven and shown that it that, that even that small dollar csa can change that kid's expectations that parent's expectations and many other things factors around that kid in their life with just a small dollar piece of that if you put more assets into that account does that make it more real to them and therefore allow them to accomplish even more right so the idea is, and I would, I would mention one other policy, and we'll talk about it later uh, in, in future podcasts, is around Senator um, Bob Casey's uh, proposal for a large dollar CSA, which is the marrying together of CSAs and baby bonds into one idea. Now, I'll give Michael Shratton all the credit in the world because his original idea of CSAs weren't a small dollar CSA. That was just what... That was just what we could do practically at the time. And so there was, there's always been behind this, the idea of a larger dollar CSAs where multiple streams of assets can flow into them so that we can actually take on wealth inequality and give these kids, you know, real assets to move out into the future and, and, and even strengthen things like education because of these assets that they have. That's kind of a ramble. way that kids would engage with those systems and structures once they have reason to think that what they do today is going to matter in the future? But, yes, but more. Because you, you have that, which is almost that, that perception of tangible hope, mm-hmm. right? But, but now you have the reality of tangible hope. And if we do something more like what Senator Casey and then... And, 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 uh, the new form of CS, the current form of CS, smaller CSAs usually is just for paying for college. But in this broader sense of CSAs, they would be able to be used not only for paying for college, but also an account that launches a kid once they leave college. And why that's so imperative and important is because there's empirical evidence that shows that, and this is a topic I want to get into in greater detail later, that low-income kids who get a degree don't do as well as higher incomes to get a degree. And in large part, because they leave college A, either with debt, which can really negatively affect their ability to build wealth and really maximize the return on a degree that the other kids are able to, or even if they leave with no debt, they have no assets, Mm -hmm. right? And so these accounts should not only be in this new idea of the accounts for kids to have money to enter college, and this is why multiple streams is important because you ha- have to have a fair amount of assets for kids to be able actually to become their full selves is they should have some assets when they leave college. So they can put a down payment on a house, start a business, do other kinds of things that uh, and, and begin to save for their retirement early on. All these kinds of things are extremely important. And so it is not only about affecting them before they arrive at college age, it's also about launching them into their adulthood with a college degree in assets so they can leverage that degree in a way that not only maximizes their returns, but society's returns on that degree. Well, I mean, not only because we're people in higher education, but everybody should be thinking about what you were talking about earlier um, of the limits of irrationality. And yes, people will do some things, even if the evidence suggests it may not work out for them, but not anything. And with what we see today with rising student debt burdens and the 
failure of a degree um, to launch people into the hopes and futures that ca you know, cause them to pursue the degree in the first place. Like the entire rationale of higher education is on um, shakier ground. So for so many reasons, not just for individual kids or even a cohort, a generation, but for all of us, we need the bets we're asking people to make to pay off in some greater and more equitable way for individuals and the larger kind of social agreement to conclude at the end of the day, that is a fair shake. Um, and when the evidence is not suggesting that that's the case right now, um, it has to cause us to rethink uh, some of those calculations. Willie, is there anything else you think we should have in our minds or, or folks listening should have in their minds as they're thinking about this idea of, of tangible hope and, the, um, and what is needed for us to go beyond platitudes and, you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best for um, kids today? What, what, what does tangible hope um, need? How does it need to figure into everybody's thinking over the weeks and months to come? Yeah, I would just remind them that like it, it, it is not enough to survive the day. Like having a life that is uh, one that is constantly focused on just surviving the day, like that's the best you can do. That's the best our social uh, uh, safety net provides. Um, th that's not what creates that's not what makes America great to sterile kind of a political slogan. Mm. What, what makes America great is that Americans can dream and, and not just dream fanciful dreams, but tangible dreams. Cause they live in a country. If you think way back when you got here, there was a land that was not explored that had all these minerals and riches in that land. And all you had to do was go out there and, and work the land and you could, you could become whatever. Now in the modern world, that's different, right? The land has all been worked. And, and it's about can we, you know, create the next uh, mega computer or, or or whatever a new device or the AI or whatever it is. And so, uh, but it's still about kids and all our kids, so that we can become a great America, being able to dream and maximize the potential that they have in themselves, the potential that we can't even fully see today. Uh, and that's all about providing them with the resources and an opportunity to do that. America is not a country that is designed to just get people to live through the day. It's been built on the idea of a country that has the richest, the resources to allow people to become whatever it is they can become through their use of effort and ability. This is not a giveaway. This is not about um, distorting the sense that effort and ability should be the things that determine who succeeds and who doesn't. It's about realizing that dream, that America would be a place where every person, regardless of where they're born, whether circumstances they're born into, will have the opportunities to actually allow their effort and ability to take them wherever it might be in life that they can go. Uh, and so, th so this is an idea that and this is it's not a giveaway or, or, or throwaway or a distorting of the dream. It's making that dream tangible. And so when I say, you know, Roosevelt said something to live for, 
it is very much like an American dream to live for, right? One that's tangible, one that's real, one that resonates with all the Americans um, that we're trying to bring to reality through these programs. Thank you. Well, that's the end of this month's Tangible Hope podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and ask that you remember to hit the like button and subscribe. It will help provide others with the opportunity to find and listen to this podcast. Also, please make comments if you want to join the conversation. Finally, check out the infographic at the end of this podcast. Thanks. Mm -hmm.